Today is the sixth Sunday of Easter, Rogation Sunday. That's the name of the sixth Sunday of Easter. It's not a big day on the church calendar, but it's an important day, a special day. It's a day set aside to honor God's creation and our role in co-creating the world with God through agriculture. To think about the sources of our food and to think about the beautiful world that God created for us. That's why our songs are celebrations of creation this morning. Heaven and earth rejoicing together. And it's fitting that our readings tell us the end of the story when all creation rejoices. For a long time, I thought that the Bible was a book about me. I thought the Bible was about me, and the Bible had all kinds of stories in it. And the whole point of the Bible was for me to think about these little stories and to see uh, and to learn from them what I need to do to find God. And it took me a long time before I got over that. I thought the Bible was about me and how I'm supposed to find God. Instead, it took me a long time to learn it, but the Bible tells one story, and it's one story about God finding me and you. And it's a big story. Here's what I mean. I preached a sermon here, well, not here, but uh, to this community, once that I thought was a great sermon. It was on David and Goliath. And the point of the sermon was that, you know, we, we learn how to defeat the giants in our own life. I thought it was a good sermon. It was presented well. Unlike most of my sermons, it's actually had a conclusion. I was proud of that. I thought I'd done a really good job. And uh, I, I got compliments on it, that, that, that I'd really opened up the Word and shown people how to, how to defeat the giants in their life. You see, I was, I was still hung up on that, thinking that the Bible was full of stories to tell me what I needed to do. The story of David and Goliath is not the story of me defeating giants. The story of David and Goliath is of me hiding in the trenches, looking over the bulwark at this giant, because I need David to come and defeat the giant. And what's going on there is that it's a picture of the son of David who's going to defeat the greatest giant ever. Death and the curse of sin. And that's what the whole big story of the Bible is. It starts off huge. God creates the whole universe. And he makes a garden. And he puts people in the garden. And what did we do? We wanted to be like God. And the snake told us we could be like God. And we believed the snake and not God. And here we are. Ever since we were told that we could be like God, what we've tried to do but be like God. We've tried to build heaven on earth. And every time we try to build heaven and earth, we bring up hell from below. If we just had one idea, or one set of policies, or one political ideology, if we all just had the right idea, if we had the right way to engineer our society, then we'd have heaven on earth. We'd have a utopia. And yet over and over again, these utopias turn out to be horrible places. Because somebody doesn't fit in for one reason or another. And horrible things happen. That word utopia is a, is a play on words. 
Sir Thomas More coined it in 1516. Um, it, it means two different things in Greek. The first thing it means is the good place. Topos means place. And EU, like eulogy, a good things we say about people, or euphony, good sounds that we hear. Uh, utopia, good place. But there's another Greek word that, that is spelled OU in English letters, which, o, which means no. So it could be good place and no place. The point is this perfect place doesn't exist. Over and over again, we try to build it, but it all collapses. Well, the Bible is the story of over and over again trying to create a utopia, a perfect place. It's not long after we're told about the fall, we're told about a group of people who set out to build a city so they can make a name for themselves. And it falls apart. But then God chooses an Iraqi guy, a Sumerian guy named Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your nation, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. And the story comes to focus on Abraham and his family. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the people rebel. They go into captivity. And finally, the story gets narrower and narrower and narrower again. Until it's the story of one finger, John the Baptist's finger, pointing at Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And then we begin to see redemption go into effect. And in our Joel reading and Revelation readings this morning, we read about the end of the story. When heaven and nature sing, why do heaven and nature sing? Because they are reunited, reunited. They touch each other. Eden is restored and all creation rejoices. Joel tells us the beasts in the field rejoice. And Psalms talked about the rocks rejoicing. And we end up with a new city. A garden city. It's a city. Why is it a city? Because there's lots of people who live there. But it's a garden. And as we read the, the, the florid language of Revelation here, I don't want you to think, well, that's just a symbol. Well, yeah, it's symbolic language. But there's no such thing as just a symbol, because the symbol points to reality. The river of life that flows from God's throne which waters the entire garden city. The leaves of the trees, which are for the healing of the nations. Or as the processional song this morning said, um, it makes, to make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And all creation rejoices. Yeah, it's using symbolic language, but the symbol points to something. There's one weird part of this description, maybe even picked up on it, where the people in the city have the name of God written on their foreheads. What's up with that? There's only one other place in Scripture where we're, we're told about someone who has the name of God written on their forehead. It's the high priest every year on Yom Kippur when he goes into the Holy of Holies. He has the name of God written on his forehead. These are people who live in the Holy of Holies. They live in the presence of God. We know the end of the story. Fellow Alex this spring is reading an awful lot about Leslie Newbegin. He's mentioned him several times in his sermons. And um, 
for some reason, it keeps coming up in my reading, too. You ever noticed, had that happen to you, where someone gets interested in something, and all of a sudden he starts popping up in, in your reading? And New Beginning was one time asked, well, when you think about the future, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And New Beginning says, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist, because Jesus rose from the dead. I already know the end of the story. The end of the story is the end of death the removal of the curse of sin. And so it really doesn't matter whether I feel like things are going to get better or I feel like things are going to get worse. If I've seen the risen Christ, I've already seen the future. And if you've seen the risen Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're optimistic about the future or pessimistic about the future. You've already seen the future. The end of death, the removal of the curse, and heaven and nature singing in Jesus' name. Amen.